Our second reading and uh, the passage that we're going to uh, look at today is from uh, Matthew chapter 18. And uh, we come to the end of Jesus' Galilean ministry. Um, he's been up, up north, as it were, and uh, from chapter 19 onwards, he's going to be heading towards Judea and to the south and to Jerusalem, where ultimately he is going to die. Um, after today, we're going to take a break from Matthew's Gospel, and uh, we'll come back to it later in the year, perhaps, and uh, and finish. But uh, this final section uh, in chapter 18 uh, is a, a section of Jesus' teaching, and he tells a parable. The parable, as the ESV has it, the parable of the unforgiving servant. And you may remember that uh, uh, Jesus has been te- teaching about in this verses before, how to deal with uh, sin in uh, between brothers. You know, if your brother comes to you with a sin, how do you deal with it? Uh, and how does the church deal with it? And so we looked at that last time. But uh, this parable comes up immediately afterwards. And, uh, and again, Peter is the one who is uh, raising the question. So verse 21, Matthew 18, verse 21. Then Peter came up and said to him, to Jesus, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, and seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused, and went and put him in prison, until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant? as I had mercy on you? And in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from the heart. So Jesus teaches here on the issue of forgiveness Uh, Of course, forgiveness is uh, central to the gospel message. Uh, We've alluded to that in our prayers already. Um, 
And the the point about forgiveness is it's not simply uh, and Christians forgiving each other. It's not simply that it's a, a moral quality and a character trait that is urged upon believers. I mean, everybody does that. Uh, all kinds of religions do that. Even atheists urge that. Um, but what it, why it's so important is that forgiveness is central to the question of how God deals with the predicament that mankind is in in relationship to God. That human beings owe a debt of obedience to God. Um, And we have run up that debt um, through their rebellion against God. Um, So one of the versions of the the Lord's Prayer uh, in in the Gospels says, Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Uh, The idea of sin as as, as a debt is present in the Scripture. But the problem is that for us is that uh, that debt is, of course, impossible to repay uh, because God requires absolute uh, obedience and perfection. And once you've uh, failed to give that, you can't get it back. Um, no amount of moral transformation is sufficient to pay off the debt that you owe to God. Uh, because every every good work that you, you do thereafter is simply what you already owe to God anyway. Uh, it can never pay for past sins. But this is the glory of therefore the gospel uh, of the gospel of Jesus Christ, is that God in in giving up His one and only Son Jesus to death on the cross acts as a substitute, thus paying the debt for His people. So the debt is paid outside of us uh, by the Lord Jesus Christ. And so his people, those who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, have their debt cleared, as it were. Jesus comes along and wipes the slate clean. And everything that is on your ledger, if you like, gets put to his, his account. And he pays for it in his death on the cross. And so this is the glorious uh, a glorious element of the of the gospel message, isn't it? That uh, the, the 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 apostles then take, having seen Jesus die and then rise again from the dead, they go out into the world and they proclaim this message of forgiveness. And uh, it's amazing, it's interesting how many times it comes up in the the book of Acts. Uh, Peter preaches it at Pentecost in Acts chapter two where he says to the crowd, or saying, what must we do to be saved? And he says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. You know, forgiving sins is central to uh, the benefits of the gospel. Receive the gospel, repent, believe, receive forgiveness of your sins. Or Peter, again, this time speaking to uh, the house of a Gentile, Cornelius, in Acts chapter 10. And he says to the family that's gathered in this household, he says, everyone who believes in Jesus of Nazareth receives forgiveness of sins through his name. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, then your sins are forgiven. Because Jesus has taken them for you. Or Paul, now speaking in uh, Pisidian Antioch, which is somewhere in the middle of modern day Turkey, in Acts chapter 13 on his first missionary journey, he, he preached this. He 
to the, 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 the assembled Jews that have, uh, in the synagogue, he, he says, My friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. It's through Jesus. Your sins, uh, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed. Now, of course, these are, these are messages that are, were proclaimed in the light of Jesus' death and his resurrection. So this had already happened, so they go out into the world to proclaim this message of forgiveness. Uh, forgiveness is there for anyone who will have this risen, ascended, reigning Lord Jesus Christ. That's the simple gospel message. But it's also true for people in the Old Testament, before Christ. How do we know that? Well, they trusted in the promises of God, which look forward to the Christ who would come. Uh, And so we find David confident in the God who makes those promises. He says, and we we sang it earlier, uh, Psalm 32, Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Or think of uh, Isaiah, uh, the prophet Isaiah, writing later than David. Uh, And Isaiah 53, 6 says this, We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us turned his own way. And the Lord has laid on him... The iniquity of us, of us all. So our iniquities, our sins, are laid on Jesus. And therefore we can be forgiven of our sins. Now the question then uh, is, is now this. In light of the fact that those who trust Jesus have been forgiven, what should the attitude of Christ's disciples be to the sins of brothers and sisters. So, you know, let me tell you, and let me t- let you into a secret. If you join a church, uh, people are going to sin against you. You're going to find people sinning against you. What do you do about that? And uh, and last week we looked at how uh, Jesus teaching about how you should deal with somebody who sinned against you. Um, and there's a sequence of steps there, and it's all for the sake of unity and harmony. Harmony. Um, and and obedience to God amongst God's holy people, that you take those steps. Um, we we need to help each other repent of our sins, and Jesus lays out those steps in verses fifteen to seventeen. But even if that happens and the sinner repents, that doesn't actually exhaust the whole question. Uh, because the question then is, what attitude do I, as the offended one, need to have against someone who sinned against me, even when they have repented? And perhaps you can see why that's a relevant question. Um, it's easy to see how one who's been offended can maintain a sense, you know, although they've said, yeah, that's fine, don't worry about it, um, I forgive you. They can maintain a sense of hurt or a grudge against the sinner you have that tainted view of that person so it's with this background then that uh, we can make sense of peter's question in verse 21 let's just look at this the text here and so the question comes in verse 21 peter comes up and says to him lord how often will my brother sin sin against me and i forgive him Uh, so 
he's really asking, how, how many times should I forgive him? And uh, like I said last time, uh, once before, I think, um, you know, questions often reveal underlying assumptions about the kind of answer that you expect uh, because you have a view of the way the world should work. And here Peter is, is really asking about the extent of the limits of forgiveness. Um, just to illustrate this, it was commonly held amongst the rabbis of Jesus' time that uh, a person should forgive up to three times, but after that, no more forgiveness. They've had their chance. They muffed it. <laughs> they lost it. Uh, three times and that's it. Three strikes and you're out. So there were limits to their forgiveness. Now, Peter probably accepts that that's a bit miserly. And so he suggests maybe seven times would be a limit that Jesus would recommend. Maybe seven times, because Jesus is more forgiving. Uh, But Jesus' answer (laughs) blows that out of the water altogether. He says, he gives a very large number. He says 70 times seven. Uh, So mathematicians among you know that's 490 times. 490 times. And it seems to me that Jesus is not really specifying a number because it's so large that it's meaningless. I mean, who's going to keep a tally up to 490 times for every person you know? You know, you'd have to have a big book to keep track of it all. And I think Jesus is giving such a large number He's saying, there is no limit. Look, there's no limit to how many times you need to forgive. Uh, Just don't bother keeping count. And it's at this point that Jesus launches into the parable, the parable of the unforgiving servant. And Jesus' point here, you've always got to remember this, this is how things work in the kingdom of heaven. It's a comparison that's being made. So uh, here's the parable, and out of that you, you compare it with what happens in the kingdom of heaven. And there's a, uh, there's a kind of chain of three characters here, uh, link, and they're linked by uh, debts. So the top of the chain, the first link in the chain, is the king, the master, the lord, who, who owes nothing to anyone, but people owe him, and all the servants owe him. And one of those debtors comes into view in verse 24, and he's the second person in the chain. Um, And I think he must be a quite a well-off servant, uh, an important servant, uh, a powerful wheeler and dealer, uh, used to dealing in large sums of money. And I know this because of the amount of money that's involved. It's 10,000 talents. Now, the commentators tell us that uh, a single talent was probably, as a unit of currency, that's probably worth about 20 years worth of a laborer's wages. 20 years, one talent. And just think about that. Think about the scale of debt that that therefore implies. Uh, Let me just try and work it out in modern day monetary terms. So um, in the UK, I think the average salary uh, for all kinds of people, everybody uh, full time is about £28,000 a year. Um, and I, I, you know, to be honest with you, I don't know what an, what a labourer in the UK earns, um, but uh, just take that number, twenty eight thousand. You multiply it up 
using the numbers that are in this parable. One talent is 20 years worth, and there's 10,000 talents. So multiply that together. You get a debt that is astronomical. Five, I calculate, 5.6 billion pounds in modern day money. 5.6 billion. This is, this is multinational levels, company levels of debt. This is small country levels of debt. Um, but he doesn't have the money and and this is how the story works out he doesn't have the money so he and his family are to be sold uh, into some form of uh, indentured servitude Uh, and and the point is is not to pay it off it's impossible to pay off that debt at that rate of earning as a labourer it would not be possible uh, it's, it's actually a punishment, really, for the loss. And all the man can do, all the servant can do, therefore, is to plead to be given more time. I, I think it's a, there's no chance that he's going to be able to do it, but he, at least he pleads for more time. And so he humbles himself, he throws himself onto his knees, he pleads for relief, and the sense of it here is he's continually pleading. Uh, it's... He's desperate. And what's interesting is is the character of the king that emerges at this point. Because it turns out he has a deep compassion for the servant, for the man's plight. And so he acts not simply to give what the man asks more time, but he acts to forgive the debt completely. Uh, And it's quite remarkable, given, given the scale of the debt, this is no small cost to the king uh, to just forgive that. That's worth bearing in mind for a moment. So the man is able then to go free of all obligation. But now into view comes another servant in the same household. This time not a wheeler dealer, uh, just an ordinary everyday guy. And uh, he owes the first man some money, um, the first servant some money as well. Uh, but it's nothing like the sums that the, the first man was owing to the king. Uh, this time, this man owes one denarius, which uh, is something like a day's wages for a labourer. And so if you work out the same numbers by the same standard, that's about £100. So first man owed £5 billion, The second man owes 100 And uh And he, he could earn it. You know, he could... Give me some more time and I could earn it and give you it back. But the first man's, the unforgiving servant's attitude is completely different, isn't it? He demands payment. He has no sympathy in spite of the second man's pleading. In fact, he threatens violence. He's choking this other man. He give me more money. Give me more money. So the king finds out about this and summons the first man back into his court and demands an explanation. And it's clear that in light of how he's been forgiven a huge debt to the king, he should have had mercy on those who owe him the small amounts. And the result of that is that the king reinstates the original debt, has the unforgiving servant thrown into jail until he can pay, which of course would be impossible. And that's it forever. And the final lesson then 
is summarized in verse 35. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from the heart. Well, how do we apply this to our situation? And I think there's a number of lessons out of this, and I think there's three particular ones that I think are we should pay attention to. The, the first lesson is this. is for us to remember, if we're Christians, how much we've been forgiven. Remember how much we've been forgiven. That's a really important element to all of this. You see, it's no good simply saying to people that to be forgiving is a good thing, a moral principle. All that happens is that you feel justified in putting limits on your forgiveness. Three times if you're a rabbi, seven times if you're Peter. Um, and, you f- and when you do that, you feel pretty good about yourself. You know, I've forgiven him three times. That's, uh, that's pretty good. And you begin to feel a little bit self-righteous about it. But the missing element to this way of thinking comes from the, that attitude of self-righteousness. That I, I don't owe anyone anything. That person owes me and I'm being good to them, letting them away three times. But it's not true, is it? It's not true that you don't owe anyone anything. The point of the parable is to show us that every one of us owes a huge, incalculable unpayable debt to God. Now in the parable, it's, it's only at the point where the man is faced with being consigned to a life of servitude that he realises the horror of what he's done. And friends, we all need to come to that realisation in, in our own lives before God. That our sins against God create for us an unpayable debt and that the horror of that needs to grip us. Now, uh, financial debt's a, a big problem in our society, isn't it? Um, there are some people who quietly, and without really paying attention, uh, run up debts on their credit cards and suddenly discover that it's unpayable. And uh, the threat of bankruptcy looms over them and horror begins to take hold and fear begins to take hold of such people. And sometimes they just try and ignore it and they run away from it, uh, just ignore all bills. Or sometimes they just panic um, and they don't know what to do. Um, even to the point of th- uh, thinking of taking their own lives. But friends, we need to understand that that's just a small debt compared to the debt we owe to God. We need to multiply that infinitely to discover the sense uh, and get a sense of the scale of the problem that every human being has with God. And I just ask you this morning, do you have that sense of the scale of the problem that your sin presents in your relationship to God? That you have an incalculable, unpayable debt because of your sin. Now with that in mind, it's the, the parable holds out hope for us. Because, and it's, it's found in the nature of the king. The king who is God, who represents God in the parable, takes pity on those who come to this realisation of their hopeless position. That if you'd only humble yourself before God and cast yourself on his mercy, 
then he would not hesitate to clear your debt because he, he has compassion on you. So many people, when it comes to thinking about God, they, they, they just hit their chin, if you like, in pride and say, so what? I'm not going to pay attention to this. If only they knew what God was really like. And they knew the extent of their sin. And they realize that God is, is there with his arms wide open. And he comes in the form, in, in the form of Jesus. God the Son. And his arms are wide open. His invitation is free and full. Come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden and I'll give you rest. I'll take the burden off your back. The burden of your sin. He's always willing to forgive anyone who comes to him. He has a heart that relents at anyone who sees their own pitiable state and pleads for mercy. So once you know your debt, but also know how much you've been forgiven, that then ought to set the frame of your mind for how you deal with other people who've got into debt with you. And that brings us to the second application. The first application is realise um, what the scale of the debt that you owe to God. The second application is, therefore, act with mercy. And this is the implication of the question that is raised so that the servant is brought back to the, the king's court and he's asked this question, verse 33, and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? So the fact that the king forgave this huge debt creates a moral imperative for the one forgiven to forgive small debts. And if he had truly grasped how much he had been forgiven, then he should in turn have been forgiving to his fellow servants. Now friends, when, when we come out of the parable into the world in which we live today, the same principle is at play. In other words, This is what we expect to see in someone who has received uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ and had their sins forgiven. That we have this prelude to receiving the mercy of God in Jesus Christ is that you have this sense of the sheer scale of your, uh, the debts that you owe to God and what you've been saved from. And the indicator that you have truly received Christ is that it totally changes your attitude to other people. When God shows his grace to you, he never leaves you unchanged. That You yourself are changed. So that when somebody sins against you and seeks your forgiveness, there is a genuine heartfelt offer to forgive. It comes from the heart. Now, friends, I just just ask you today, is that how you currently act? Or maybe you you don't quite forgive somebody who seeks your forgiveness and you have a habit of holding grudges against them. You know, it it can happen in marriages. Um, You know, you you say sorry to your wife or your husband, but you're not really sorry and you, you... you're a bit annoyed by it and you carry on, you hold on to it and you grip it and, and it comes back later and you, it comes into conversations later and you keep bringing it up. You've never really kind of let go of it. You've never truly forgiven. 
Or it can happen with parents and their children. When parents use it as a way of controlling their children and um, manipulating their children. Not graciously, but wickedly. Maybe you're the kind of person that puts on a show. Um, you know you know what you should do, you know what you should say, but in your heart of hearts you harbour resentment and bear a grudge. And it may be secret to the world, nobody else knows about it. The trouble with it is that, it does, that your forgiveness that you've expressed doesn't really come from the heart. You've not really forgiven that other person, which in turn reveals, I think it reveals this, I think it reveals that you have not really known the grace of God in your life. Can I be so blunt? You know the theory of it. But you've never cast yourself on the mercy of God. And I wonder if that's you this morning. Let me be blunt again. Maybe you're not actually a Christian if that's the way you operate because you've not discovered truly what the grace of God is in Jesus Christ. Which brings me to the third point of application, which is remember that there is a judgment to come. There is a judgment to come. You can't get away from this fact that this unmerciful servant in the end had to face the consequences of his debt. He had been offered complete cancellation, yet he hadn't been changed by the sheer compassion of the king. And so he was called back to face the final judgment. Now, how does that apply to today? Let me suggest this. Jesus often spoke of hypocrites, um, what is a hypocrite but someone who looks like one thing on the outside but is another thing on the inside and we have seen in some of the earlier parables that uh, in the kingdom of heaven there can be hypocrites and I think this unmerciful servant is one of those a hypocrite people who look like they've received the grace of God but in fact their hearts are as hard as ever and the point of this parable is, the, the third point here, is that such people will face the judgment of God. For all their church going, for all their appearances to other people of niceness and respectability and, and so on, they will face judgment because they've never truly cast themselves upon God's mercy and received his forgiveness. They presume upon it. They assume that God will forgive them because they have a sense of their own niceness. I forgive people three times. I forgive people seven times. I'm a nice person. God will forgive me. That's presumption. But you haven't been changed by it. And I just wonder, is there anyone listening today, listening this morning, and maybe you're going to church or you're connected with a church but you do not yet know your need and you don't know yet that that debt you owe to God has still to be cleared by him let's go back to the general principle that Jesus taught in verses 21 and 22 Lord how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him as many as seven times Jesus said to him, 
I do not say to you seven times, but seventy times seven. Do you see how daft a question that is from Peter? How often should I forgive him? If you know the grace of God and the basis upon which anyone may enter the kingdom of heaven, you must realise that there are no limits to the number of offers of forgiveness for the person who has been saved. Because you yourself have been changed by the grace of God. That grace, mercy, is now the air that you breathe, the atmosphere of the kingdom into which you have entered and into which all who have entered now enjoy. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the wonderful kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. We thank you that Jesus teaches so clearly here about the way of grace and mercy. But Lord, it also comes with a warning that those who spurn that mercy, who ignore it, who presume upon your goodness without really dealing with you, are destined for judgment. Lord, we pray we take these messages to heart. But Lord, may all of us trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. For his name's sake we pray. Amen.